We're in the middle of a series called The Jesus I Know. And let me just tell you the concept behind it. And it's something Brianna, uh, Brianna, <laughs> Brian, not Brianna and I, <laughs> Brianna and I, uh, yeah, she, she works in the sermon here in a minute. Uh, Brian, as we we're discussing this, it's the Jesus that I know. And so the whole concept is like if he and I were to take you to coffee, which would take a lot of time and be really expensive. But if we sat down and said, hey, uh, let me tell you about the Jesus I know, that's the whole ser- uh, premise behind the sermon series. Right, so it's a little bit different typically because it's pretty personal that whoever stands up here on the stage, this is the Jesus uh, that we know. And so I've been excited about it candidly because a few months ago I was at a luncheon, a nonprofit luncheon in Alpharetta and finished and the executive director pulled me aside, we were talking, and he asked me this question, he goes, so what do you like to preach on? And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, what's your thing? What do you like to preach about? And I was, I was like, I don't know, man. I really like talking about Jesus. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me, and I go, I'm just a big fan of his. Like, if I can preach about Jesus, I'm cool. So uh, and he kind of chuckled, and he's like, well, I guess that's a good thing for a preacher to want to preach about. I was like, yeah, I really like it. So um, that's the mission of our church. If you don't know that, the mission statement is very simply this, um, to lead people to fully follow Jesus, lead people to fully follow Jesus. So we don't care if you check in out church for the, like, the very first time you're a bit skeptical, or man, like the day you were born, the doctor spanked you on the rear, you sang Amazing Grace. Like, I don't care where you fall on the spiritual spectrum. We want you to become more and more like Jesus. If you're doing that for us, it's mission accomplished. And that's, we unashamedly say, that's what we're trying to do. And so this whole premise is to tell you about the Jesus that we, we know, uh, uh, as Chris, as Brian, as whoever's up on the stage, in the hopes that you will understand it and become more and more like him in your daily walk. So as long as you become more like Jesus, we're good to go. And as I was preparing for this sermon series, I mean, I could have taken it in, in like a hundred different directions. I could do a whole sermon series for a year on this topic and didn't know where to start. So I was in the kitchen, looked around for like some great theologian, and there she was, Brianna. She was standing there behind the kitchen sink, and I just said, hey, let me ask you this question. She goes, sure. I said, if you were taking the entire church to coffee, what would you say about the Jesus you know? Yo, know, she didn't pause. She didn't have to think about it. She just goes, oh, that's easy. She says, the Jesus I know is personal. The Jesus I know is personal. I'll go explain that to me. She says, the Jesus I know, he knows my strengths and my weaknesses. He knows what I get excited about. He knows my fears and anxieties. And she goes, Chris, as I've looked back over my life, I've seen him in every step of the way. And she said, the Jesus that I know is so very personal. And as I begin to think about that, he's personal for me. As I think back over my journey and my walk with Jesus, through the highs and through the lows, he's been there every step of the way. And it's different for me, it's different for Brianne, it's different for Brian, it's different for each one of you. And so often we think of a relationship with Jesus as this stoic, robotic, almost assembly line, well, you just do these things, and from A to Z, this is how it goes. And It's so very different based upon the person, based upon where they're at in life. And so the Jesus that I know is so very personal, and he will meet you right where you are at, whatever moment that you find yourself in, and take you forward in a walk with him. But all too often, we treat Jesus as a very transactional, emotionless relationship. Now, something about Brianna that I've shared with some people that 
she loves to buy and sell things on Craigslist. Now, just by a show of hands, if you're willing to admit that, or if any of you like Craigslist fans, okay, four of you, five of you, okay, uh, maybe, do they have Craigslist in Dawsonville? Okay, all right, they do, okay, all right, whatever, all right. Um, so she loves Craigslist. Now, I'm fine with that. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I don't tell it too many people because I'm kind of embarrassed to be very candid with you, but she's not here this morning, so I'm going to air her dirty laundry for all of you. <laughs> One thing you don't know about Brianna is that if ever you see her and meet her, she, she looks very sweet and innocent, very nice, kind. Uh, she is, for the most part, except when she negotiates deals on Craigslist. Y'all, she's cutthroat, cold-blooded, like she will get the very best deal. And I know some of you people in this room, like you negotiate multi-million dollar deals on a weekly basis for your company. I promise you, she would rival your tenacity with the way she negotiates a $15 used typewriter. (laughs) And I've seen it. A few months ago, she finds this typewriter. It was originally $30. She whittled all the way down to $15. Now, typically, she negotiates it and then sends me after the item. <laughs> I think she values her life more than mine, to be honest with you. And so, uh, but this one's different. She goes, let's go. We'll just go pick it up. I was like, okay. So we get in the SUV, put all four kids in the back because nothing says kids-friendly like a Craigslist purchase. <laughs> so we throw all the kids in the back and we go, where, where, where are we going? She goes, we're going down to Gwinnett. I was like, babe, we're going to spend $15 in gas. Like, we didn't save any money. She said, no, no, we're going to go. So we go to this random CVS, like in the middle of somewhere in Gwinnett County, and we pull up, and then another car pulls up next to it. If you've done a Craigslist thing, you know how this goes down. And she goes, uh, hang out in the car. She goes, I'll handle it. I was like, who did I marry? She goes, I'll take care of it. I was like, all right, babe, like, keep the engine running. It's a getaway car, whatever. So... She gets out, she meets the couple, $15, you know, a typewriter, that kind of stuff. They leave, she gets and puts the, the typewriter in the trunk, she gets in the passenger, she slams the door and she goes, let's go. I was like, are we Bonnie and Clyde? Like, what, are, this feels so illegal on so many levels. And she goes, just go. And so we're going. I was like, babe, who are you? And she goes, what are you talking about? I was like, you're so like cold hearted, like you just kind of do your thing. And she goes, well, it's just a, a transaction. She goes, I gave them the money, they gave me the typewriter, and move on. And I tell you that because I think for many of us, whether it's our church upbringing or grandparents or parents, somewhere along the line, we treat Jesus like that. It's very transactional. Jesus, I'll show up, you know, I'll listen to some songs, I'll listen to Brian and Chris do their thing, and then you can owe me some things in return. And I'll show up maybe once a week, maybe once a month, maybe Christmas, Easter, whenever, but I'm going to do these things, Jesus, and I really expect you to do some things in return. It's very transactional. It's very emotionless. It's very guarded, but it's the way we were brought up. It's the way we were raised. There's a million things that all of a sudden in our life, we go, well, Jesus, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. I'll meet you there on Sunday. In a relationship with Jesus, and and what I have personally experienced, is the exact opposite. It is so personal. No matter the person, no matter the moment, he will meet you right where you're at. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and go to Mark chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be up on the screen. We're going to look at this story. You're going to see this this moment, two moments with two individuals. These two individuals, one's a man, one's a woman, could not be more opposite in in their journey in life. One would be well known, one would be anonymous, one would more than likely be wealthy, The other one you're going to see had spent all their money. One had courage, one did not. 
But there in this moment, Jesus meets them and, and has an interaction with them on a very personal level. Now, if you've grown up in church before, you more than likely have read this story, but my guess is you've, you've overpassed or missed over some of the chaotic nuance of this story. But in this story, Jesus has personal moments with both the man and both the woman. Mark chapter 5, pick it up in verse 21. It says, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter is dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her and heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. Now, that word crowding, a, a better word definition for that word instead of crowding would be the word to compress, to compress. So it is jammed up, compressed, all right? So you think Disney World at spring break. Uh, you think national championship, downtown Mercedes-Benz. You think New Year's Eve on Times Square, like the mass of humanity compressed tight and all around. This is chaotic moment. Now, uh, I'm going to be real candid and transparent with you because I'm not sure when they're going to invite me back to preach out here. So uh, one thing you need to know about me personally, and I'm not going to ask you if you're in this boat, but if ever I'm in a large compressed crowd, I'm not a real good Christian at all. Like, I, I, you know, I, might, I probably don't even tell people I'm, I'm just in sales, all right? Whatever. I sell, I sell fire insurance. That's what I sell. So this lady gets it back there. You'll go to lunch. You'll catch it later. Um, so I just, I don't like it. I don't like the jammed up. I can't think straight. And me personally, I cannot wait to get into my car with my own personal space. Then I just kind of relax and, be, you know, Christianity returns back. And so... Jesus is there. It's jammed up. It's not just, oh, there's a nice crowd. It's people all around him, compressed. This guy, Jairus, comes to him. He's pleading, my daughter's sick, my daughter's sick, my daughter's sick. You got to come. And Jesus goes, all right, I'll, I'll come. So Jesus is on his way to heal this little girl, but then there's a distraction. Look what happens in verse 25. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she had gotten no better. And in fact, she had gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately, the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Because you got Jairus, courageous, goes up to Jesus, hey, I need this to happen. Jesus goes, this woman doesn't want to be known. She doesn't want to be seen. She just wants to be anonymous in the crowd. And she goes, if I can just touch the fringe of his robe, I think I'll be healed. She does. She's healed. And she hopes to slip away anonymously in the crowd. But Jesus stops. Verse 30. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. And so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, uh, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? Uh, Jesus, what, what are you talking about? Who touched my robe? Yet yeah, Jesus, well, who hasn't touched your robe? I, I probably bumped into you a few times. And Jesus, look at the crowd, the masculine. And Jesus goes, no, no, something's different. 
What do you mean? So, healing power? So, somebody touched my robe. And I'm sure Peter's going, seriously? Like, I don't, we can't stop Jesus. We got to go to Jairus' house, all this crowd. He goes, no, something's different. Then look what happens. Verse 32, but he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. Scared to death, hoping to disappear into the crowd. All of a sudden, Jesus stops looking around. She realizes he knows something happened. And so she is scared to death, and she's trembling, and she falls to her knees before Jesus. And look at what Jesus says, and you can almost get like this tone and this voice of empathy. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. The words that she had wanted to hear for 12 long years. And she hears there in the middle of a chaotic, noisy, compressed crowd. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your suffering is over. Meanwhile, the story continues with Jairus, verse 35. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Put yourself in this scene. Jammed up, crazy, compressed. Jesus is talking to this lady. She's there. On the, Jairus is there. He's probably waiting, and his friends come. Hey, Jairus, what? Uh, she didn't make it. What? Yeah, she didn't make it. Wait, what are, you, what are you saying? Jairus, your daughter is dead. If you're a dad of a daughter, you can just imagine your knees would buckle. The sound of hearing, because now it's no longer needing a healing, and now it needs a resurrection. His daughter is no longer sick. She is now dead. And all of a sudden, you can imagine trying to, to, to process that and to figure out what's going on. In verse 36, it says, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw the commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and he said, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead, she's only asleep. The crowd, they laughed at him. But he made them all leave, and he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. And holding her hand, he said to her, and he says this in Aramaic, Talitha koam, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jairus and the anonymous woman. Courage and fear, well-known, anonymous. And Jesus there in the chaotic, loud, noisy, compressed crowd, there made moments and personally connected with both of them. And what I want you to grasp in your own life as you understand that Jesus is so personal, as you begin to think about your own life, is simply this, to don't let the chaos of life overshadow moments with people. Don't allow the chaos of your life, of your schedule, work, school, as good as all of those things are, overshadow those individual moments with people. And then merely maybe a better phrase for many of us in this room is 
Don't allow the chaos of life to overshadow moments with Jesus. Don't allow the chaos of your life, the schedule of your life to overshadow those moments with Jesus. You see, all too often when we go through life, we're like Jesus and we go, there's people all around us, it's noisy, there's work, there's schedules, there's little league, there's church, there's shopping, there's all these things. It's good things. But it overshadows the moments of the people that need a listening ear, or that need a lunch, that need a coffee. I would, but I got to go here. I would talk to you, but I got to see them. I would, but get in line. Jesus is there trying to keep a schedule, trying to go to this person's house, but he stops and tells this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. The words she had wanted to hear for 12 years. And in your life, don't allow the chaos that your life is, that my life is, overshadow those individual moments with people. Because you have no idea what one single moment with that person, how it could forever change the course of their life. My wife and I, we realize the the chaos of our life and then the quietness of these moments in a very profound, unique way about six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, something happened that has not happened since we had kids. Now, what I'm about to tell you, many of you experience on a daily basis, and it's not that big a deal to you, but indulge me for just a minute. Because something happened six weeks ago. Six weeks ago, we enrolled our youngest, Micah, into preschool two days a week. Those two days happen to be on Thursday and Friday. Friday happens to be my day off during the week, and that very first Friday, we drop all the kids off to school, including Micah, and 9 o'clock, we come back home, we're standing in, there, in the kitchen, we look at each other, and there's no noise, and I look at her, I go, this is what empty nesters feel like every single day. Now, I look at you empty nesters, you're so relaxed, and you show up on time everywhere, I get it. But there's that moment, and people ask us, is, is having four kids chaotic? It's not chaotic at all. It's literally insanity 24-7. <laughs> it was 9 o'clock in the morning. She goes, what do you want to do? I go, let's go see a movie. She goes, that sounds awesome. Just FYI, Dawsonville Movie Theater does not show movies at 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> we drove up there and realized that. She goes, oh, let's go eat brunch. So we went and had brunch. We finished that up. She goes, now what do you want to do? I go, let's go to Costco. Y'all, you can spend a lot of money in Costco with no kids. <laughs> now, obviously, we have been dating all throughout our marriage, and we have those moments, but it was that moment, and every Friday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., there's that four hours, there's no cell phones, no interruptions, no phone calls, no emails, and it's that realization where there is a lot of chaos and noise, and it's good stuff. It's four kids. We love them, but man, there's a moment for us. Right, maybe there's some moments for you with people that you've, you've kind of blown off, you've kind of pushed to the side and going, well, I would, but I'm busy. And maybe there's that person that's going, man, if I could just have a moment of your time, their life would be forever changed. But notice with the individuals, both of these individuals, Jairus and the anonymous woman, both of them had moments with Jesus. Jairus approached Jesus, the woman, she eventually came to Jesus. They had those moments with Jesus. And all too often, we get busy with the chaos of life that Jesus just becomes another thing that we check off our to-do list. And I love church, and I love the, the, these type of gatherings. But there's a lot of people. It's loud. There's, there's speakers. There's sound. There's music. But, man, in those moments, and I can just personally tell you, in those quiet moments that I've spent with Jesus or those moments where he has profoundly shaped my life. I've been to more church services than, than I can possibly count. But the moments that he pours into me personally are those quiet individual moments 
those moments in the morning or late at night. I see a sunrise or a sunset. There's those quiet moments where Jesus begins to speak into my heart. And one of those moments that I profoundly remember that forever changed the course of my life came when I was 19 years old. I became a Christian when I was six years old. I remember the moment I prayed a prayer there in my parents' living room couch. I became a Christian when I was six, but I did not live for Jesus until I was 19. I lived for one person up until age 19, and it was Chris. My world revolved around me. I was a Christian. I got that, but if Chris wanted to do it, I did it. All decisions revolved around Chris until God got a hold of my life in a very quiet, very dark moment at age 19. And he got a hold of my life when I was laying flat on my back in my college house that we was renting on my bed there. And I was laying in a body cast from about here to here because I had a shattered lower vertebrae from a snow skiing accident that happened on spring break. And age 19, I come back, I'm there, and I'm just down. Imagine being a sophomore in college and uh, once you thought you were inv invincible, and now all of a sudden you're wearing this brace and you can barely move. But there in that moment is where Jesus began to get a hold of my heart and my soul, going, do I have your attention now, Chris? Are you willing to center your life around me now, Chris, instead of you? And at age 19 was where my life got recentered around Jesus and has been there ever since. It wasn't in a church setting. It wasn't in the conference. It wasn't in some big convention. It was there in the quietness, in the, the emptiness of that room where Jesus began to get a hold of me. And I'm here to tell you that he will meet you right where you're at and will push back the chaos of life to meet you in a moment. But the question is, will you meet him? That's interesting, these two individuals, this man and this woman, they really could not have been more opposite in their, in their life journey. But there were two things that they had in common in how they approached Jesus. They approached him both with humility and with faith, with humility and with faith. And I want to show you specifically the humility of the woman and then the faith of the man. And I want you to look at verse 33. It says, then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him, meaning Jesus, and told him what she had done. Now, she's not meeting him like in a private room or at a church or at her house. She's there in front of the compressed crowd. She falls. Now, all of a sudden, the entire crowd knows her medical history and her medical problems. It's aired out for all to see. And, but there in that moment, she did not care what they thought or what they said. The only thing that she cared about is what Jesus could do in her life. That moment there with Jesus, that very personal moment. And even in that moment, don't miss this, Jairus' daughter now goes from being sick to being dead. Now Jairus is going to look at this woman going, oh my goodness, you, you caused the death of my daughter. You delayed it. All of these things she could have worried about, what they thought, what they said, but the only thing that she cared about in that moment, on her knees before Jesus, is what Jesus could do for her. And what I want you to grasp about this for your own life is care about what Jesus can do for you, not what others will think. Care about what Jesus can do for you in your moment, in your life. Now, what they may think or they may say or how they may judge you. Because you know what? They're going to say, think, and judge whatever they're going to say, think, and judge. But Jesus, he will meet you there personally in that moment. And that's the only thing in life that you should care about, that audience of one. And his name is Jesus. You know, if you can get to that moment, if you can get to that place, it's a very freeing thing. 
If your marriage is on the rocks and you go, well, I'm kind of embarrassed of going to a marriage counselor because of what they may say or they may think. You know what? They're going to say they're going to think whatever they want to, but your marriage needs to be restored. You begin to walk through the process. Go through that. Swallow your pride. Take on the, 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 the code of humility and go, you know what? This is what's important. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce and you're trying to come out the other side and you go, man, I know I need to see a counselor, but I'm not sure what my friends are, are going to think or going to say. They'll think or say with it. You go to the counselor. You struggle with an addiction. You roll into the 12-step program. You, you seek somebody to hold you accountable. You're going, it may be embarrassing, yes, but before Jesus, it's what's worth it. It's, what, it's that personal relationship. And when you understand that all of a sudden it frees you up to say, I'm playing for an audience of one whose name is Jesus, not for what they may think or what they may say. And you see this. If you've got kids, I don't care whether they're grown and gone or still little in the house. If you think about your kids, and they all have their thing that they do right outside of school. So whether it's science or music or arts or drama or, you know, sports or reading, whatever, they, they have their, their thing that they do. I've got four kids. They all have four very different things. My oldest is into sports, and whatever sports season he's in, he loves baseball, basketball, football. And I see this happen every now and then in practice sometimes in games. And if you're a parent, you've seen this in your own kid. I've seen it where all of a sudden he's practicing or he's playing, and all of a sudden his little 10-year-old mind, something switches, and he cares more about what his teammates or the other team will think than how he can play. And so when that happens, he becomes tense and tight. He doesn't swing the bat the right way. He doesn't make a jump shot the right way. He doesn't throw a football the right way. And I notice it. And so I have to pull him aside during practice or after practice. And I go, hey, what's up? No, oh, Dad, I'm just, 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 just frustrated. And I don't want to lose this game. And he kind of, I go, okay. I go, you might lose the game. Yeah, Dad, we might lose the game. I go, so what? Well, you know, we're going to lose the game. I'll go, let me tell you what's going to happen when you lose the game. So you're going to come home. You're going to shower, you're going to go to bed, you're going to wake up, you're going to go to school in the morning. That's what's going to, that is literally all that's going to happen. Well, yeah, but dad, I'm not, sorry. Oh, son, do you see any NFL scouts in, in the, the sideline? Any major league baseball clock in a 10-year-old pit? No, no, you don't see that? Okay, son. Well, yeah, dad, but the coach might get mad. He'll get over it. Well, yeah, but the other team is probably going to say something. Yeah, it's called trash talking, son. You'll get over it. Well, yeah, but son, listen, let me just tell you something. I love you. Your mom loves you. You're going to come home to a loving household. Go play the game you know how to play. And there's that moment where all of a sudden this little teenager, it switches back to going, oh, I'm loved by mom. I'm loved by dad. I'll go play. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he remembers how to swing the bat the right way, make a jump shot, throw a football. It's freeing up. When you understand that, you know what, they're going to say what they want to say. They're going to they're judge this lady's medical conditions, but she falls on her knees to the one that that could heal her, the one that the power came from his robe. And she goes, you know, this is really all I care about. I care more about what Jesus can do for you, your marriage, your finances, your kids, your, your anxiety, than what others may think or say. And I want you to look at the faith of the man. Faith of the man. Look at verse 42. Verse 42, it says, And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up, walked around, says they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Overwhelmed and totally amazed. I want you to put yourself in this guy's shoes. His daughter's sick, 12-year-old daughter's sick, terminally ill. Jesus is rolling through town. He's a local synagogue leader. He goes, man, if I can just convince Jesus to come to my house, there'll be some hope. Fights through the crowd, talks to Jesus. Man, what a stroke of luck. Jesus said, yes, he's coming to my house. He's so excited, fired up. There's still hope yet. 
He's walking along, marching. Jesus is there, and all of a sudden, Jesus' voice gets distant. He looks back, and Jesus is way back there talking to some lady. He's looking back and talking about some lady on the knee. He didn't, you don't really know what's going on. You're like, well, man, you got to hurry up. we got to go. All of a sudden, your buddies come to you. Hey, Jairus, yeah, we got some bad news. What's that? She didn't make it. What? She didn't make it. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? What do you mean she didn't make it? She, she's, she's, she's sick. I know she's not. But no, Jairus, your, your daughter's dead. Knees would buckle. All of a sudden, it went from bad, terminally ill, to worse. She's dead. You're there, and you, whether you're frustrated or mad, or you're trying to process it all, Jesus over here goes, Jairus, don't worry about it. Have faith. Goes back to the house. There's all this commotion and weeping and wailing. There's his wife. Maybe he's trying to console his wife. Maybe he's trying to keep it all together. Right, trying to process this. Little daughter, yeah, yeah, Jesus, oh my goodness, everything was going well. Then it gets delayed. Now she's not just sick, now she's dead. Jesus goes, don't worry about it, Jairus, don't worry about it. You're just trying to process it all. And then all of a sudden, Jesus goes, little girl, get up. And you in that moment, when you're looking at your daughter who once was terminally ill and then dead and is now standing there, 100% healed, you would be overwhelmed and totally amazed too. And what I want you to grasp from the life of Jairus is this, is that he had faith even when it went from bad to worse. Bad, terminally ill, worse, she's dead. And in your life, it goes from bad to worse, and the temptation is to go, I'm out. It's too much. It went from bad to worse, but don't miss this, Jesus never left. He never left. Right? In your life, it's gone from bad to worse. Your marriage has gone from bad to worse. Maybe in someone you love, their sickness has gone from bad to worse. And the temptation is to go, I'm out. And Jairus could have gone, hey, Jesus, you know, listen, this thing kind of went from a healing to a resurrection. You know, well, I'll just go mourn the loss of my daughter. And if he had left Jesus there, he would have gone mourn the loss of his daughter, buried her, and gotten on with his life. But he never lost faith in Jesus. Jesus goes, don't worry about Jairus. She's only sleeping. I don't, I don't see that, Jesus, but okay. Have faith even when it goes from bad to worse. Now, let me just be real candid with you this morning. Having personally experienced bad to worse, having walked so many different people from bad to worse, and understanding that there's so many of you who are sitting in a situation that's gone from bad to worse, the last thing you would ever want to hear is a preacher get up there and just go, have faith. Stick with it. Sing songs, listen to a message, and you're going, Chris, it hurts. You're at that moment where you've cried so many tears that you cry, no more tears run out, you just run out. That moment where there's this anxiety in your stomach that usually leaves, but it won't. It's where you look at a situation and you're just going, I don't know how it can get any worse than this. And having walked through situations like that personally, walked so many people through situations like that personally, I'm here to tell you, faith in Jesus is the only thing that will get you from bad to worse to the other side. From bad to worse, and if you let go, you're letting go of your only lifeline of hope. It went from bad to worse, but Jesus never left. Jesus didn't go to Jairus and go, hey, Jairus, listen, you know, I thought I was kind of getting to a healing thing. Now it's a resurrection thing. Uh, I'm not really doing that today, so good luck. Jesus goes, no, no, don't worry about Jairus. We got this. Everybody else is, y'all move on out. Mom, dad, come on in here. We got this. 
And I'm just here to tell you personally speaking, it hurts and it stings and you probably have cried more tears than you can ever imagine. And your life situation has gone from bad to worse. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is the only thing that can get you from bad to worse to the other side. And be real candid with you, it's not a whole lot of fun to preach this idea. But it's way easier to preach than it is to practice. And so let me just tell you what I did for you this morning. I'm way in this morning driving in my truck to here. I thought about you guys, don't know your story, don't know what your situation is, but I prayed for you. I just pray that God would encourage you somehow, some way today. I pray that whatever you're going through, that you would keep your eyes on him, that you would keep your faith in him, that you wouldn't let go of the only ray of hope in your life. And the fact that Jesus conquered death and overcame the grave, and he's not walking away from you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And so my hope and my prayer is that you don't walk away from him when it goes from bad to worse. He is what will deliver you through the other side. If we finish up our time today, we're coffee. And you go, Chris, what do you you want me to to grasp in this? I just go, you know what? The Jesus I know is so very personal. He will meet you right where you're at. He will take you forward with him. Even when it goes from bad to worse, bad to worse, You stay with him, you keep your faith in him, and he will get you through to the other side. I'll finish with this, and it's just a reminder of how personal our Heavenly Father views us. In Psalm 139, verse 16, it's a Psalm of David. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, don't miss this, you are still with me. You're still with me. Through bankruptcy, through cancer, through death, through divorce, through anxiety, through fears, through the unknown, you are still with me. And that's the Jesus that I know is so deeply and profoundly personal. And he's still with me and he's still with you. And I love how David writes. He doesn't use words like we or the group or us. He uses words like me and my. In my days you've laid out and you knew me and you formed me and you're always with me. And so that's my prayer today, honestly, is that you would grasp this idea that the Jesus I know is not this assembly line, robotic, emotionless person to follow. It's personal. It's vulnerable. And it's what you place your faith in from bad to worse. And he'll get you to the other side. Let me pray for us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I'm just going before you humbly. As a pastor who deeply loves this church and these people, God, I pray for them. Don't know what they're walking through. Don't know their fears, don't know their anxieties, don't know their struggles. But if they're human beings, they have them. Lord, my prayer right now is that that you would encourage them, that you would wrap your arms around them, that they would experience an extra ounce of your grace and of your peace here today, God. God, that you would speak into the depths of their hearts and souls right now. That you promised you would never leave them nor forsake them no matter what they're walking through. 
no matter when it goes from bad to worse to devastating, you're still with them. You have not left them. Lord, my prayer is that they don't leave you, that they would cling to that hope that's found only in you, Jesus. We love you and ask all these things in your precious and holy name today.